Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads Community Church, our vision is to awaken the city of Pittsburgh and surrounding areas by creating cool places to experience God in local neighborhoods throughout Pittsburgh and beyond. Now here is this week's message. about what we're going to be talking about this morning, and um, it's actually not going to be me, uh, uh, and I'll introduce uh, Drew Robertson, who's going to be sharing some stuff with you in a minute, but before we do, I just want to kind of guide us into where we're going. So if you have a Bible, uh, open it up to the book of Matthew, chapter 18, And if you don't have one, raise your hands, and we have someone that can grab a Bible for you. There should be one under your seat, left, right, front, or back, behind you somewhere. Uh, But open it up to the book of Matthew, chapter 18. Um, And you drop down, as you drop down to verse 15, which is where we're going to be reading from now. uh, Let me me say this, because normally in your Bibles there's probably a heading that says when a brother sins against another or something like that. And as soon as... You know, the pastor says, hey, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Everyone's like, oh, no, somebody's done somebody wrong, and now we're going to sing another someone done someone wrong song or something like that. And, yeah, you guys not know that song? Okay, all right. I mean, I thought people were just holding back because they felt like they would be old if they knew that song. It's from the 70s, so you're not, well, you are a little old, but not that old. But um, drop down to... uh, Verse 15, and we're going to be looking at this, but not from the sin against your brother passage. I want to pull something else out of it to show you. Uh, In verse 15, it says, if your brother, and when he is saying brother, the Hebrew word, or excuse me, Greek word that's used there literally means a blood relative, someone you're connected to. And as um, this is being relayed, as Jesus is relaying this to us, he's talking about the church. Uh, He says, if your brother sins against you, go And show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And this is key. This is what he says. He says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And what Jesus is doing here, he's talking about not just the, you know, uh, the way that, that we're supposed to be reconciled, but he's talking about when Christians, Christ followers, these people who are normal, uh, and we always say that it's real people living very real life in the presence of a very real God, and when you're living real life, sometimes you have issues. Sometimes stuff doesn't work out right. But the church is supposed to be a place where you can come and those things are, you're reconciled one to another. Those things are made right, where people are made whole, where there's resolution to be found. All right? Uh, Two chapters previous, in chapter 16, uh, he tells, he says that I'm going to build this thing called the church. And here he's saying this thing called the church is supposed to be a place where people can come and find resolution the difficulties we have in everyday life with one another, all right? Now, a couple of chapters later, uh, and I'm going to, well, let me put this up here on the screen, uh, because he, ma- he, he makes an interesting point. He says, if he won't listen, take one or two others along so that every matter can be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So there's other people there, but he says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, 
Okay. Now, he, the word, we often look and say, yeah, the church, it means this word, the ecclesia, it means the called, but it means more than that. There's a two-pronged uh, relational impact to that word. It means the called from, meaning they're called out from somewhere, and they're called to a public place. Now, that doesn't mean that if you have an issue, you bring it out in the middle of, you know, Times Square and start yelling, you know, somebody done somebody wrong and all that kind of stuff. But it does mean that in the context of this community that's doing life together, that we work to resolve issues and heal one another and help one another and be there for one another. Now, he later says, uh, talking about this thing called the church, he says that um, in Matthew 28, what we know as, you know, the Great Commission, he says, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So he pretty much, he says this, he says, I have, as, as Jesus, as, you know, God, all authority, not some, not just a little bit, but all of the authority rests with them. And because it rests with him, he says, therefore, because I have all authority, then I can tell you guys who are Christ followers, who say, I want to live my life in line with the living Lord. He says, I can tell you guys to go do this. You're supposed to, we are supposed to, the church is supposed to go and make disciples of all nations. That means that the countries, and I've, I've shared this with you guys before, when we, uh, we're not streaming today, but sometimes when we stream and when we put our uh, services up online and I go look there are people from nations that I can't even pronounce that watch these and download these now that doesn't mean we're discipling them but there are people all over the world that we may not be able to connect to that are looking to find out more about this living God they're looking to say hey does this God really exist is there a way for me to interact and connect with this living God. And Jesus told us that we're supposed to go to those people in the nations that we can't even pronounce or we don't even know exist, but there are people there. And we're supposed to teach them all things. And teaching literally means disciple. It means to instruct. It means to, we're supposed to share the love of Christ, show the love of Christ to them, and let them know that this thing called the church that Jesus Christ created and is building and we are a part of is this wonderful, powerful living organism that people can come into and experience healing and find love and the grace of God. Now, you and I probably won't go to these nations and to all of these places, but there are people that do. And so our part is to encourage them, to pray for them, to find a way to come alongside them as they go out to these places that you and I probably, you know, we hear about on the news or we read about or uh, maybe we have like a newspaper clipping that we see about something that happened there and once we find out we can't pronounce this, we move on to the next page or turn to the sports section. Am I the only one that can't pronounce some of these nations? Because you guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. And I know, I know Google, you know, you can hit the thing and it will say the name for you. But some of them, there's like seven consonants in a row. So I just stopped. But in any case, all right. Um, uh, so what we're going to do this morning is uh, Drew Robertson and his wife, Sarah, and um, their son, Tatum. Is Tatum there? Everyone turn around and make them feel welcome. Okay. Uh, they are 
a part of uh, Converge worldwide, of which we are a part. We're a part of Converge. Um, and uh, I won't go into a lot of his story. I'm sure he's going to share uh, a lot of it with you. But the cool thing is, Christy and I were talking with him last night, is that um, I got to find out that this isn't something that God just recently put on his heart. This is for most of his adult life. He's known that what he's about to share with us is what God has called and equipped him to do, and he's been on the path to seeing God fulfill it, and we get to take part in not just hearing it, but joining him and them on this journey. So would you just give a warm welcome to uh, Drew Robertson. Thank you, Floyd. Good morning. Um, it just uh, I just want to say thank you for being willing to have us come, and thank you to Floyd for inviting us. And um, My wife and I live in Columbus, Ohio, um, so we just journeyed over here. Not too, not too bad of a drive, but we've been traveling around, speaking at a lot of different churches, and just sharing our heart. Um, and so one thing I want to do uh, to start out this morning is kind of just give you a picture of what God has called us to do. Um, and then we are going to you know, take a look at the Word and, and, and really see a challenge I think God has given me to, to share with you this morning. Um, but one thing I want to start out with is I want to get a little bit of interaction. So you're going to have to participate. Um, I want to do a word association. So the way this works is I'm going to give you a word, and I want you to think of the very first thing that comes to mind. Um, don't think about it. Don't take time to figure out what's politically correct or what you should say in a church. Um, but just the first thing that comes to mind when you hear these particular words. Um, and the first one that I want to do is missions. So when you hear the word missions, what's the first thing that you think of? Church? Trip? All right. All right, I like that one. Awesome. You know, missions is something, and I've been doing this in a lot of different places, um, a lot of times when we think of missions, um, we think of, of a trip. We think of a short-term opportunity that, that we're going to, you know, build an orphanage or um, do some good humanitarian project. And those are great. God has really used short-term mission trips in my life to guide and direct me and lead me to where I am today. Um, but one thing I think we often forget about when we think of missions is long-term career missions. Without the people there long-term committed to living in an area, short-term missions wouldn't be possible. Um, it's my understanding that since the beginning of the year, you've been talking about things that are, um, you know, what it means to be, be a part of the church, what it means to be part of this church, and, and, and what God has called you to do, how evangelism pl takes a, plays a role in every Christian's life. Um, and so what I want to share with you this morning is about overcoming that idea of safety in our lives as we follow Christ. Because God is calling all of us to things that, that may not be safe. You know, the dangers that are in your life may not be the same as the dangers in our life, but we all have things that God may be calling us to do that, that we're a little bit afraid to do. And so I want to talk about that this morning. Um, how many people here have ever played the game Capture the Flag? Decent amount of people. How many have heard of it? <laughs> a few more. For those of you who haven't, the rules are pretty simple. You have two teams. 
usually in a big field, big area, divided up on the two sides. Each team has a flag. Object of the game, capture the other team's flag. Pretty self-explanatory. Within that, though, if you are on your side of the, of the field, of the area, you're in what's, what's considered the safe zone. You can't be tagged. You can't be, be put into jail. But if you step across your line into the other team's area so that you can steal their flag and someone tags you, you have to go to jail until someone on your team can get you out. So as long as you stay in the safety zone, you'll never get tagged. You're safe. But you'll also never win the game unless you're willing to step into what is necessary danger in order to accomplish the goal of playing. And I think that's the way we, a lot of us live our lives, as we live our lives in the safety zone. Afraid to step into what might be dangerous situations to accomplish what God has called us to do. And instead, we, we stay back and live in the safety zone. And so we have to ask ourselves, what would call us, what would be important enough for us to step into dangerous situations, for us to leave the safety zone. For me, I can't think of anything that would cause us to make danger necessary more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we believe with every ounce of our being, the, the passage we had in our video, in Acts 4.12, that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ is not only a way. He is the only way. And we have to be communicating that to those around us and those around the world. When we look in the Bible, we, we don't see many examples of people living in the safety zone. Jesus never lived in the safety zone. He put himself in dangerous situations so that the truth that God had sent him to proclaim would be heard. I don't think Paul even knew that a safety zone existed the way he lived his life. We do read about one Old Testament prophet that tried to live in the safety zone, and that made Jonah end up in the belly of a giant fish. So I don't think that worked out too well for him. Living in the safety zone is something a lot of us do, but it's not the example that we see in Scripture. What I want to do this morning, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, um, I want to take a look at the life of Paul. Um, in this particular portion towards the end of Paul's life, where we see what it's like to embrace um, what I would call necessary danger in our lives. Um, so we're going to start in, in chapter 20 and verse 22. Um, we're joining Paul on the tail end of his third missionary journey. Paul had taken three trips all through Asia where he had first planted churches and then he was going back and he was encouraging those churches and, and, and establishing leadership and, and helping those churches go along. And so this is on the end, the return trip of that last journey where he's trying to get back to Jerusalem for Pentecost. At this point, he's in the city of Miletus in modern-day Turkey. And he has called the elders of the church in Ephesus to meet him there. Um, he has some things that he wants to share with them that God has laid on his heart. 
And so we're going to pick it up there and read a little bit about what Paul has um, to share. It's a, it's a long portion of scripture that we're going to go to. I might skip a little bit, but uh, um, bear with me as we go through. Um, so in verse 22, somehow I ended up in Acts chapter 21. There we go. 2022, uh, Paul says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. He then continues on to, to give some specific instructions to that church of, of um, guarding against people coming in from the outside and coming up from the church or teaching false doctrines. Um, and those specific instructions. And, and before he goes to leave, they join him on, on the beach as they get ready to board the ship and they're weeping because he is leaving and because he's told them that they will never see him again. And they're, they're terrified of what is coming in Paul's life. He then gets, boards a ship, heads across the Mediterranean, and lands in the port city of Tyre, the exact city that Sarah and I are moving to this summer. Um, nice little coincidence there. But uh, when he gets to Tyre, the, the ship was stopping, unloading some goods there, and so they sought out some Christians in that area. There was, there was a, a gathering of Christians in Tyre, and they connected with them and spent a week with them. And while they were there, the Spirit came and spoke to the people in Tyre and told them that Paul, what Paul was going to experience. It's interesting, actually, in uh, chapter 21, um, in verse, uh, verse 4, it says, Having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But he ended up going anyways. They left Tyre, and they... Um, they moved on further south. And so we're going to um, pick it up in uh, verse 8 of chapter 21. I'm going to read a little bit more here. Um, they had left Tyre, and they, they got to Ptolemaeus. And then in verse 8, On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, and he bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not ready, I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. There's a lot in here. 
um, and, and some, some heavy things that, that Paul is communicating and, and a passion that he has. Um, so to recap through there, when, you know, we look back at you know, verse 23 when Paul states that uh, he, was he knows he's going to experience chains and affliction in Jerusalem. And so then when he goes to leave, the, the leaders of Ephesus, they're, they're weeping and, and, and in sorrow for him leaving. And, and you can only imagine in, in true sorrow that they're begging him not to go. He then gets over to Tyre, and the Christians there, it says that they're, by the Spirit, telling Paul not to go. And that's a very interesting way to look at it, because the first question when we read that is, so did Paul disobey the Spirit because he went? And we don't really see through here um, exactly what the Spirit said. We only know what the Spirit how they interpreted the Spirit. And so we'll look at that a little bit as we, as we go on. Um, but then he gets down to Caesarea, and the prophet Agabus comes and, and, and prophesies that he's going to be bound and handed over to the, to the Gentiles. But yet Paul still goes. And he gives the final word that says, I, I've counted the cost, I know what it's going to take, and I'm ready. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is so much more important. Throughout the entire narrative, we see that Paul is dedicated to one thing and one thing only. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God would be glorified in everything that he did. And that's the only thing that mattered in Paul's life. So as we look through there, we see the Spirit speaking to the people of God. But we see them interpreting it in two different ways. We see Paul and how he interprets what the Spirit says. And then we see the church. The church in Miletus, in Tyre, and in Caesarea, and how they interpret what the Spirit has said. I want to first look at, at how the church has, has interpreted the Spirit and, and what was driving them as they did so. You know, these were not people who, who were young Christians without a strong foundation in the faith. You know, the people in Tyre were so in tune with the Spirit that they heard him speak. You know, there wasn't, it doesn't say a prophet came to them. It just says the Spirit spoke to the church. So they were in tune with what the Spirit had to say. But they interpreted it based on their fear. Because Paul heard the same message from the Spirit. And we know that the Spirit of God is not going to give contradictory messages to his people. And so he was speaking the same things to both groups. But the fear of the church made them interpret the danger that was coming in Paul's life as not to go. Logically, that makes sense to us. If we are told that if you go to that city, you're going to be thrown into prison and potentially die. Logically, in our minds, we say, okay, let's avoid that one and go somewhere else. And that's how the church had interpreted it. They, they decided to, to interpret it in a nice, safe alternative. How often do we do that in our lives? God's calling us to do something, and instead of just obeying exactly what he has said, we interpret it into a nice, safe alternative. You know, maybe God was calling you to share the gospel with your coworker, that person that you see on a daily basis. But instead, you decided that what he really just wanted you to do was while he was away at lunch, you would leave a, a little track or a brochure on his desk and avoid the conversation, but, but you still share the gospel with him but you avoided what was dangerous or scared you. 
Too often our fear paralyzes our pursuit of faith in Christ. You know, fear is a very real emotion. We all experience it on a daily basis. Um, you know, we deal with fear of, of where God is calling us to all the time. And what I want to challenge you with this morning is that we, instead of letting our fear paralyze us and keep us from following the will of God, that we let our fear drive us into a deeper faith in Christ. That when we're afraid, instead of turning and running in the other direction, we turn and run into the arms of Christ and know that he will guide us, he will protect us, and he will bring us through that necessary danger. One of the other things that the, the, the church had done and that we often do um, was that the only thing they could see when they looked at what was happening and going to happen in Paul's life was the risk. And they could not see the reward. They were afraid of the potential end result of Paul going to Jerusalem. You know, they were smart people. They knew that if he was going to go and be chained and bound and handed over to the Gentiles, there's a good chance that this was also going to lead to Paul's death. And they were too afraid of that carnal end result and what could happen to see the reward that could potentially come from Paul obeying and going where the Spirit was leading. And so I want to also briefly then just look at Paul and, and look at how he interpreted and heard the Spirit and what the actions of his life were when the Spirit spoke. The first thing that we see is that Paul was walking in step with the Holy Spirit. In verse 22, he tells the Ephesian elders that he is constrained by the Spirit. Other translations say bound by the Spirit. You know, Paul's not just going to Jerusalem because he wants to go to Jerusalem because that's where he should celebrate Pentecost and has some friends there. Paul is going because the Spirit of God has bound him and constrained him to go. And quenching or ignoring the Spirit was never an option for Paul and should never be an option in our lives today. To remain in the safety zone, even though the, the church had begged him in different places to stay with them and not to go, to remain there where it was safe would have been to suppress the Spirit, to ignore the Spirit, and to disobey what the Spirit was calling him to do. The next thing we see about Paul is that he was confident in the call of God on his life. When Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, it was a dramatic event. And from that moment on, Paul had been called to share the gospel and take the message to the Gentiles. And Paul was not about to stop obeying that call one moment before God told him to. Even the threat of impending danger was not enough to keep him from obeying the call that God had put on his life. He was confident in that. The final thing that we see with Paul is that he was more focused on the reward rather than the risk. He knew that going to Jerusalem may eventually take his life. But he knew that there was a greater reward in that. As we read through Acts, we see that Paul did go to Jerusalem. Paul was bound. He was thrown in prison. He was handed over to the Gentiles. And eventually, we believe this is what led to Paul's death. 
But we also know from reading the rest of Acts that because he went to Jerusalem, Paul had the opportunity to share the gospel with some of the highest ranking officials in the entire Roman Empire. An opportunity he never would have had if he stayed in the safety zone. We don't know if any of those um, officials ever came to Christ, but we also know that he wasn't speaking to them in private. And so there was many, many people who heard the gospel proclaimed because Paul was willing to go into a dangerous situation because the reward was greater than the risk. So the question, um, actually, we, uh, one quote I want to read to you that I think really exemplifies Paul's mindset and a mindset that, that we can take from this. Um, it's from a, a guy by the name of A.G. Fernando um, in a, a commentary that he has on, on the book of Acts. Um, and he says this, he says, this was not suffering just for the sake of suffering. Rather, it came out of a deep ambition that drove Paul. The ambition to finish the race and complete the task that God gave him. That ambition overcame the legitimate, though secondary, task of protecting his life. This approach to life is consistent with what Paul wrote in his letters. The instinct to self-preservation and personal advancement was always subsumed by his ambition to see God's kingdom grow through his obedience. So the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, are we willing to live amidst necessary danger? Or is our instinct to self-preservation and personal advancement greater than our ambition to see God's kingdom grow? There may be some of you here today that, that don't have a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And a lot of this stuff may not make sense. Why, why would we give up you know, the safety of our home and go somewhere where that safety is not present? Why would we do things, any of us here, that may be dangerous? And what I hope you can see through this is that we serve a God who is greater and more powerful and stronger than any potential danger that could come in our lives. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we follow him, because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and he is greater than any danger in our lives. If you are following Christ this morning, you know, I hope it may be a challenge to you to look at your lives and see what dangerous situations God has put in front of you. Things that you're afraid of. You know, your danger may not be the same as our danger. Um, it may not be the same as the person sitting next to you. You know, it may be a physical danger that, it, that is present in something God's calling you to do. It may be an emotional danger. It may be a spiritual danger. It may be a financial danger of something that God is calling you to do, and you're afraid to respond. And I just hope that you can take that fear that is present in your life, and you can use that fear not to cause you to run away, but to drive you into a deeper faith in Christ. That's my prayer for you all this morning. Um, I just thank you for, for the opportunity to come and, and share that with you. And um, To close out, I just want to um, say a prayer, so if you'll bow with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father God, Lord, we love you. Um, we lift you up this morning. Um, you are 
greater and more powerful than anything that may come at us in this world. And we put our faith in you. We put our trust in you to bring us through the necessary dangerous situations in our lives. Lord, we, we ask that you take that fear that is real and present and cannot be ignored, and we ask that you take that and drive us to a deeper faith in you. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, can you guys give Drew a, a hand? Don't go anywhere yet. Hold on. Hold on. Hang on. Right here. Um, before, uh, two things I want to share with you quickly before we, before we wrap up, and uh, I know you guys are smelling chilly and all that, and it's hard to, hard to concentrate, but bear with me. Uh, first and foremost, um, I'm going to ask, uh, and I don't know, are you guys comfortable if we bring some people up here to just yeah. lay hands on you and pray yeah. for you guys? Yeah. So, Sarah, would you come up as well? And uh, I'm going to ask uh, if some of the ladies in the church would come forward and be willing to lay hands and pray with Sarah and some of the guys would come forward and be willing to do so. If you could just step down here real quick. And if you were reading through that passage, that's, that's one of the things they did as they sent mm -hmm. off Paul. They came around and prayed with him. So, um. All right, just bow your heads with me. God, we are just so excited uh, just at the work that you are calling uh, this family to. And we pray that your blessings, your power, your spirit would guide Drew and Sarah and be with them. And uh, not as they take this short-term step, but as they take this lifelong step of uh, fulfilling the calling that you have placed in our hearts years ago that you're bringing to fruition now. God, we pray a hedge of protection around them. We pray that you would continue to encourage them, strengthen them, that your spirit would go before them, that your hands would guide them. We pray that you would lead them into the relationships that they need to have to see your will done in that place. And we pray that your spirit, your spirit and your power through your authority, as we read earlier, all authority given to you would allow them to do a wondrous, mighty work in the area that you're sending them. God, we pray that lives would be transformed. We pray that people would be able to come out from where they are to this wonderful thing that you call the church. That they would be able to experience your love, your power, your healing, your grace. And that they would be made whole. God, we pray that you would just do a wonderful work in their lives and every single life that they're going to touch. And we pray this in Jesus' name.